G'day folks, welcome to episode 99 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week, we're going to do our usual roundup of vulnerability fixes for the past week in the supported Ubuntu releases first. And then in community news, we've got a bunch of things to discuss. In particular, uh, GitHub have released their state of the 2020 Octoverse uh, security report. So we're going to dive into that a bit and see, I guess, how they view the security ecosystem in open source. Uh, there's also been a great blog post from the Launchpad team about uh, the GPG key server migration we're going to talk about. Uh, there's a new App Armor release, and there are some open positions in the team that I want to put out there as well. Uh, but first, as I say, let's get into uh, the week's security updates. So this week, there were 68 unique CVEs addressed by the team in the supported Ubuntu releases. First up, we had an update for MUT, the venerable uh, email client. Uh, this was for all of the Ubuntu releases 1204, uh, Extended Security Maintenance, 1604, 1804, 2004, and the 2010 Groovy Gorilla. Uh, this was a single CVE that had to do with uh, handling of connections to IMAP servers. In particular, if you're obviously using a TLS uh, connection to IMAP, you want your credentials to be encrypted as part of that. Uh, but unfortunately, if the first response that Mutt received from this server was invalid, it would then fail to properly terminate the connection and it could continue trying to reconnect to it in the clear and therefore send your credentials out over the wire. So anyone that could get in the middle of your connection to your IMAP server would potentially be able to snoop them. So that has been fixed for MUT. Uh, then we had an update for Poplar. This is the PDF uh, rendering library, uh, mainly from the GNOME folks. Uh, five different CVEs that were for Ubuntu 16.04 and 18.04 long-term support releases. These were our usual sorts of uh, memory corruption issues that we see in these sort of C libraries. Um, all of these were potentially able to cause a denial of service if you're processing untrusted PDFs or things like that, uh, but potential remote code execution as well. Unfortunately, as part of that update, there was a regression. So one of the fixes uh, did introduce a failure for various applications that linked against Poplar. So we did back that out and that will hopefully be in a future update once uh, I guess a more stable fix for that has been devised by Upstream. After that, we had an update for Thunderbird. Again, another email client. Uh, this is a quite a popular one. Uh, 13 different CVEs were addressed for this in the Groovy Gorilla, the Ubuntu 20.10 release. Uh, this was updating to the latest upstream release, 78.5.0. And actually, this is uh, in the process of being released as a stable release update uh, by the desktop team to uh, Ubuntu 20.04 long-term support, the Focal Fosa. And again, uh, being something that processes a lot of untrusted uh, input and renders you know, HTML and things like that, this actually has the usual sorts of web rendering type vulnerabilities. So uh, various fixes for things like denial of service attacks, uh, the ability to obtain sensitive information across origins, across origin uh, request attacks, um, the ability to bypass security restrictions, conduct phishing attacks, uh, cross-site scripting attacks, content policy restrictions, uh, DNS rebinding, or even arbitrary code execution were fixed uh, in that update. Similarly, we had an update for WebKit GTK uh, for the Ubuntu releases 18.04 and 20.04 long-term support and the Groovy Gorilla. Five different CVEs were fixed here. Uh, this is a bit of uh, deja vu actually for that Thunderbird release because uh, again, this updates to the latest upstream release for WebKit GTK and has the same sorts of vulnerabilities that were fixed. Both of these obviously processing a lot of untrusted uh, web content and connecting to potentially untrusted websites. The cross-site scripting attacks, denial of service attacks, and arbitrary code execution were fixed in that update as well for WebKit GTK. After this, uh, we had an update for the XDG utils package. Uh, this was for the Ubuntu releases 16.04, 18.04, 20.04 long-term support, and the Groovy Gorilla. 
uh, another email related thing, but in this case, uh, XDG Utils provides things like uh, URL handling uh, in the GNOME desktop and the like. So if you click a link, you know, HTTP colon slash slash whatever, or mail to colon uh, in this case, it then tries to launch, you know, your favorite email client. In the case of mail to, you can potentially supply an attach parameter to that so that when your email client pops up, it then goes and attaches the specified file. Uh, as you can imagine, this could allow a remote attacker to get you to at least uh, create an email that has an attachment to it that is something sensitive, like maybe your uh, GPG private key or something like that. And if you're not paying careful attention and you then send that email, uh, off goes your private information. Uh, so this was fixed in XDD Utils to sanitize that attached parameter. Uh, this has actually been fixed previously in Upstream Thunderbird as well. Uh, this was Thunderbird specific this vulnerability in XDG Utils because it had special case handling for Thunderbird there. Uh, but that has been fixed. So if you are using Thunderbird and clicking random mail to uh, URLs, you're a little safer now. There was an update as well for free RDP for the Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support release. 13 different CVEs were rolled into this. And actually this is uh, the equivalent uh, update for one that I talked about back in episode 78 for Ubuntu 16.04 long-term support. So if you want to know more about that, uh, go check out that episode. QMU was updated as well for Ubuntu releases 16.04, 18.04, 20.04, long-term support, and the Groovy Gorilla. Uh, this fixed various issues, but in particular, possible uh, host uh, remote code execution from a guest uh, due to incorrect handling of SDHCI device simulation. Uh, it should be noted though that uh, that is partially mitigated when you're using libvirt with QMU because in Ubuntu we ship an AppArmor profile for that so it does limit uh, the, uh, I guess the attack surface that is uh, exposed by that. Uh, there were also other fixes there too, so various issues with both USB and other device emulation uh, likely to be able to be causing a crash uh, in your host QMU from the guest. They were all fixed. After that was an update for MySQL or MySQL uh, for the Ubuntu 20.04 long-term support release. And I want to put a shout out to one of our community members, Tom Reynolds, uh, who raised this in the Ubuntu Harden channel uh, quite a while ago actually now, and it went unfortunately unfixed uh, in that release. In particular, this was uh, around this new MySQL X plugin that was enabled in the Ubuntu 20.04 long-term support release. Uh, this is enabled and it provides essentially another um, network uh, socket interface that is listening on by default uh, for MySQL. Uh, unfortunately, that was then also bound to all uh, interfaces. And so you then, if you were, had run MySQL, you, this uh, interface was then exposed uh, uh, open on the internet. So not a good thing. Uh, so this update now changes that configuration to binder only to local host by default. So if you were using it and it was networkly accessible and you needed it to be, accessible over the network, uh, you're now going to have to go and change that configuration option yourself, unfortunately, but it does then mean for all the users that were using MySQL on Ubuntu 20.04 long-term support and uh, didn't even know that this new protocol was enabled, they are now a bit safer. So thanks again uh, to Tomron for that one. After that was an update for ContainerD for the Ubuntu releases 16.04, 18.04, 20.04, uh, the long-term support releases there, and 2010, the Groovy Gorilla. In this case, uh, the ContainerD shim API is exposed from an abstract Unix socket uh, on the host network namespace. And so if you are running containers in the same network namespace, they can connect to that. Uh, it then tries to validate though that the effective user ID of a connecting process is zero, but doesn't do any other sorts of access control. 
what that means then is any uh, malicious container that is running on that host network namespace with the effective user ID of zero, but uh, with otherwise reduced privileges, could then cause container D to spawn new processes with full root privileges. So it essentially allows you to escape the confinement of your container and you know get root code execution on the host. Uh, upstream should be noted that they do advise against running containers in the host network namespace because that then means they can't even access this API at all. Uh, so that was fixed. Unfortunately, this did uh, tickle an existing bug in Docker IO uh, in uh, these releases. So in that case, uh, Docker would stop when container D was restarted. So when you upgrade container D, then container D restarts, Docker then stops and you have no more Docker running. Uh, not a great one. So uh, that can be fixed just by manually restarting Docker uh, and the server team are working on a fix for that so that future upgrades to container D and the like don't cause your Docker to stop running as a result of upgrading container D. Uh, we then have updates for a bunch of other packages as well. Uh, Sniffit, Pear, uh, WorkZoog, uh, the X server as well, and finally the Linux kernel. So I wanted to talk about this uh, only just to mention the most interesting one here was uh, a new speculative execution attack, but this one is not against Intel processors, but against uh, IBM Power9 processors. Uh, I want to say thanks in particular to Daniel Axtons from IBM for doing a lot of the heavy lifting uh, with working with our kernel team on this to provide backports of the associated patches and the like. But yeah, like a lot of the Spectre attacks, uh, this could allow a malicious process to snoop on data from other processes in the L1 cache. So uh, you could then you know, read that through speculative execution attacks. To fix this, the idea is very similar to what was done for the Spectre attacks, and that's to flush the L1 cache when you're transitioning between privilege boundaries. This does have a very minor performance impact, but it's almost in the noise, so uh, our Power9 users shouldn't notice that, hopefully. But yeah, so it was interesting just to see uh, that, that you know, we're seeing these sorts of vulnerabilities, not just in Intel processors, but in other uh, processes with other architectures as well. Okay, uh, so that was updated for the 16.04 kernel, which is also the hardware enablement kernel in Ubuntu 14.04 extended security maintenance, as well as the uh, kernel in Ubuntu 20.04 long-term support, and again, hardware enablement kernel in the previous long-term support, so the 18.04 uh, release, and finally in the Groovy Gorilla as well. Uh, we did, the kernel team did roll into this a bunch of other uh, CV fixes too, so if you want to know more about that, uh, links to the Ubuntu security notices are in the show notes. Okay, so that takes us to the end of security updates for this week. In community news, uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was this release, or this report that has been released uh, by GitHub, and it's their State of the Octaverse 2020 report, and in particular, the security report around this. What they've done uh, to kind of, I guess, give them good data to comment on security is to look at various packages in the different package ecosystems uh, that are popular, particularly on GitHub. So that is uh, the Composer ecosystem for PHP packages, uh, Maven for Java, uh, NPM for JavaScript, NuGet for .NET, uh, PyPI for Python, and RubyGems for the Ruby programming language. And what they found was that, uh, not surprisingly, I guess, uh, that 94% of projects on GitHub rely on at least one open source component. Given, I guess, the high popularity of uh, GitHub's use for open source, that is not surprising, really. Uh, but something they did find uh, when talking about security things is that, uh, in particular, JavaScript packages have a median of nearly 700 transitive dependencies. So if you're trying to track all the various um, uh, bits of open source software that are being used and you're doing um, you know, Node.js or other similar uh, JavaScript type development, uh, you've got a lot of things that you need to keep track of, unfortunately. 
Compare this to Python, uh, where they found on average that uh, they have at most 19 transitive dependencies. So that's really interesting, I guess, from a package ecosystem that the amount of work you need to do to track um, potential vulnerabilities in the bits of code you're using uh, can be a lot less uh, depending on which language you choose to develop in. Going on, they found that 17% um, of advisories that they looked at, so they took a, essentially a sample of about 500 different advisories and 17% of those uh, only were related to explicitly malicious behavior. And almost all of those were in NPM packages. So you'll probably recall in previous episodes, uh, we've talked about things like packages that were typo squatting on others or you know that had been maliciously backdoored when someone else had taken over maintainership of the package or similar. Uh, but again, yeah, that's like obviously quite endemic in NPM. PM. And again, I'm going to say that that's related to that um, very high number of transitive dependencies that you do get in JavaScript packages, uh, because that then allows this sort of thing to go unnoticed potentially more than others. And that's maybe why that is uh, a more popular target for that kind of thing. Uh, but they then found, I guess, that if only 17% are explicitly malicious, that the majority, that would make 83%, are just from mistakes that are introducing vulnerabilities. Uh, speaking of vulnerabilities, they found that in general, vulnerabilities do go undetected for just over four years, uh, 218 weeks to be specific, before they are disclosed. Uh, thankfully, fixes don't take anywhere near that long. They take only about four weeks to come uh, on average, and then about 10 more weeks to actually alert uh, users of the fix or to put out a security notice or similar. Uh, so that is good, I guess, that we are getting um, faster at being able to develop patches and fix things. But obviously, if things are going undetected for so long, if you've got uh, bad actors out there that are um, scanning for vulnerabilities and able to find them, uh, they've got a long time then that those are zero days before they are publicly known. Uh, so I guess hopefully the static analysis and the like that's being done by the developers of this software is uh, no worse than that which is being done by those who are going vulnerability hunting. Uh, but something tells me that may not be the case. Uh, the other thing they found then too was that uh, essentially any line of code that's written today is just as likely to contain a vulnerability today as it uh, would have four years ago back in 2016. Essentially the rate of vulnerabilities being introduced is uh, not getting less. Uh, we're not getting more secure over time. So even though we are um, deploying or you know, the ecosystem is deploying more static analysis tools or um, things like Dependabot on GitHub, which will tell you when your uh, package dependencies are out of date and the like, um, there are still vulnerabilities getting introduced just as quick. So I guess, yeah, those who are going vuln hunting have still got uh, a lot of stuff to go looking for. And you know, we have more work to do there as an ecosystem. So anyway, I found that uh, quite enlightening. Uh, I guess it does show that um, you know if you are using JavaScript and NPM in particular, uh, you've got a lot of work there to do in terms of tracking vulnerabilities in all your dependencies. But yeah, if you want to know more, I've got a link to that report in the show notes. Moving on, I wanted to just have a quick shout out to uh, the Launchpad team who put a blog post out uh, just uh, today about uh, their recent work to migrate uh, their the key servers that are used by Launchpad for uh, PGP from uh, the venerable SKS uh, server to uh, the more recent Hockey Puck server. So uh, SKS has been around a long time, written in OCaml, uh, was originally part of a PhD project actually. And over time, that's been found to have issues, in particular, uh, the ability to basically denial of service against uh, the server or to users of that by inserting uh, malicious uh, or basically by adding uh, a huge number of signatures to existing keys in the key server has meant that that has become uh, essentially unwieldy to use over time. 
HockeyPuck is a, a more um, recent uh, key server that's been developed with different properties and is a lot more um, resilient to those sorts of attacks due to the features that it has. Uh, there are certain things that it can do that SKS can't and conversely SKS has a lot of things that HockeyPuck can't do but for the Launchpad developers and the way that uh, PGP is used uh, in Launchpad they found that HockeyPuck uh, fit their needs quite well and actually uh, the main developer of HockeyPuck is now a canonical employee so that's always handy. Uh, so yeah, their blog post goes into a lot of detail about how they did that and I thought that would be uh, interesting to listeners. As well, just want to do a quick uh, release announcement for AppArmor. So the 3.0.1 bug fix release uh, for AppArmor was put out just the other day. The main uh, highlight for this as a feature is it supports the checkpoint restore capability that was added in 5.9 kernels. So you can uh, you know, restrict that or allow that as needed now in your AppArmor profiles. Um, but it doesn't contain a bunch of other bug fixes as well. And last of all, I just wanted to do a quick shout out to some positions that are uh, open in the Ubuntu security team. So the last time I talked about open positions was way back in episode 66, back at the start of March. Uh, that does seem a very long time ago now, uh, given this year. So yeah, if you are keen on joining our team, we are looking for an additional AppArmor security engineer to join the team. Uh, we're also looking for an engineering director. So if you want to essentially lead uh, the Ubuntu security team in Canonical, uh, we would love to have you, uh, you know, come and join us. And we are looking for an engineering manager as well to work with the director. So uh, links to all of those are in the show notes. And I urge you, if you are interested in them or, you know, you obviously you're listening to this, you probably are. Uh, yeah, check them out and apply. Okay, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can email us at security.ubuntu.com. Uh, you can also find us in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network. Uh, on discourse.ubuntu.com, there is the security section that we monitor, plus just the general discourse.ubuntu.com as well, if you want to come and uh, raise a topic there about something security-related. And finally, on Twitter, we are at Ubuntu underscore sec. So thanks, everyone, for listening again for another week. It has been great to do this all again for you. Uh, yeah, episode 99 well we are getting on uh, with these things uh, next week episode 100 I guess we'll have to see if we can come up with something uh, special for that but yeah in the meantime remember keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon bye bye